Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, episode number 75. Jacob Airy stops by the show, and today we talk about the perils of traditional publishing. Are you intrigued? Well, before we get to the episode, how about some intro music? Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips, and advice on writing fast, writing often, and writing well. So you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Well, hello, hello, hello. This is your Prolific Writer Podcast host, Ryan J. Pelton. So glad that you are here. So glad that you're alive. Uh, If you weren't alive, you wouldn't be hearing these words in your earbuds. Um, If you are, that'd be very strange. But however you have found the Prolific Writer Podcast, if you're on the train, you're on the plane, you're doing the dishes, going for the walk, working out, I'm so glad that you have given me your ears. And this is the podcast dedicated to help motivated writers get unstuck, make an impact with their words. And build a life with the words, build a business with the words, Whatever, wherever you are on the journey. We are so glad that you are here. We're trying to help you get more words on the page. So welcome. Welcome. Episode number 75 is going to be a great one. As always, Jacob Airy is on the show and Jacob is a, a journalist and he's a fiction writer. And we're going to talk about his new book, Cacophony, and you're going to love that story. And today we're going to talk a little bit about part of his story and going down the traditional publishing route and how it didn't go well for him and some of the lessons that he learned uh, through that. And hopefully you'll be inspired and be warned of why many of us have chose to go down the indie writing route um, and nothing against traditional publishing, obviously. Uh, But there are some things to think about and it doesn't always go well. And so Jacob's going to share a little bit of his story. It's kind of a part of his uh, painful part of his story. Um, But through it all, he continued to work and uh, continue to build his, his words and his word empire and uh, has some, some books now. And uh, so we're excited to hear more about his work and his novel and novels that are coming and stories and just his journey through 
writing in a variety of contexts. So I was so thankful to have Jacob Airy on the show. We'll get to that in just a moment. Just a couple small little details before we jump into the podcast interview today. Uh, one is, I'm really excited, uh, depending on when you are listening to this podcast, uh, this may not affect you, but today, uh, as of September 13, uh, I have a new book that just came out, the Book two of the Ricky Rayburn Chronicles. I've been writing a series of middle grade novels with my sons, my oldest sons, and it's been a lot of fun. And so book two finally came out. We wrote uh, book two last end of last year, but we're just now getting it published. So book one is out, Secrets and the Ambassadors, and book two, Mysterious Pirates of the Pacific. So if you have any children, seven to 12, or grandchildren, ages seven to 12, especially those maybe boys that are reluctant readers, I think you'll really enjoy these stories. They're action adventure, full of laughs, full of action, and uh, a lot of fun. And so my, my boys have liked them. Uh, the people that are buying the book like it. And uh, go check that out. I'll put that in the show notes, just a little quick little Pluggy poo, pluggy poo poo. That sounds weird, uh, but a little plug uh, for the book. Want to keep being prolific, and so looking forward to sharing that with the world. And then, lastly, before we jump into the interview, is I would love for you to consider supporting uh, this show in a very special way, and not just this show, but also twenty five other shows. Uh, as you've probably heard many times over uh, on this podcast, is we are part of a family of podcasts, the Project Entertainment Network, and and so we have a Patreon page. So Patreon dot com. I'll put this all in the show notes slash uh, Project Entertainment Network. And uh, if you go and support us and the mini shows on the network is you'll get some really cool swag and some other cool stuff uh, that, that we send out to our supporters. And so you can go check out all the information. All the details are there. Uh, I think the, the, the lowest uh, threshold is a buck a month and uh, what a great way to support artists and podcasts and writers, uh, a lot of great writers, a lot of great podcasts out there. And also there's a lot of great people uh, on Patreon. I, I support a couple writers as well. And so it's a great opportunity to support art and, and this kind of creative work. And so go check that out. I'll put that in the show notes. So thanks for supporting the show. And just thank you again, always all the many emails, all the many comments, all the nice reviews and ratings. Uh, it's such a blessing to be able to do this show and help writers in the writing community. And uh, so thank you for all the, all the great feedback. And also, as always, if there's anyone you want me to interview or, or someone I'm missing that you say, Hey, this person has a great story or if you're yourself are an aspiring author or an author and you want to come on the show, uh, email me Ryan at the prolific writer.net. And I'd love to have you on the show and we can, we can chat. We'll chat it up. So without further ado, here is Jacob Airy. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, and I am privileged today to have Jacob Airy on the show, and uh, wanted to have Jacob on the show for a lot of reasons. One, to hear about his story and writing, and he, he does all kinds of stuff, uh, but also he's got a new book out, uh, Cacophony, A Tale of Faith and Fear, and I'd love to hear uh, more about that, and you're going to like to hear more about that. He has a great story behind that, so why don't you say hello, Jacob, and why don't you tell us a little about yourself? Hi, well, um, Jake Berry, I'm currently living in Los Angeles, but I'm a Texan, uh, born and raised, uh, went to, uh, first went to California to go to seminary, I attended uh, Bethel's Seminary in Redding, California, it was a lot of fun, and, uh, and that's actually where Cacophony kind of got started, it had a, a, a simpler title at the time, but a book came out that was just one word off of the original title, and 
So I went back and forth and I talked to one of my teachers and they said, well, uh, it's a story about angels and demons and these demons are trying to influence uh, this community into a certain direction and it's the angels are fighting back. And uh, my teacher who read, read the book said, oh, it sounds like the demons are creating a cacophony which I had no idea what that meant at the time, but I, but I looked it up in the dictionary, and it just means like a meaningless sound that's just meant to distract. And I was like, oh, that's actually, uh, that's actually perfect. And it kind of uh, tied in with the demons creating this, uh, uh, this distraction just, to, just on the basis of fear, and the angels represent faith and uh, pulling this community that's going back and forth. So that's how the book got started. That's how it got... Uh, uh, developed. I actually wrote the very first draft when I was 16, and put it on the bookshelf. When I went to when I went to college, I reread it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. So, you know, I was 16, so I was like, oh, this is a pretty terrible manuscript. But I edited it and redid it, and went through several more drafts after that. And uh, at one point, it had a uh, it. At one point, the book was kind of depressing, and I was like, I don't want to make this book depressing. I want people to be to feel a certain amount of uplift from it. So I, I went. I took a lot of. I won't say I took a lot of the darkness out of it, but I've added a lot more light into the story, and so uh, that's kind of how it became uh, what it is today. Well, that's great. I, you know, your story is very similar. I mean, we have so many writers on here too, and authors that uh, you know have this book or it sits on the shelf for years, or they're just kind of piddling around with it for years and years and years, and finally kind of say, you know, let's let's get this out of the world now. So, what was the 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 impetus to kind of get it finally done? I mean, you you went back. Obviously, you wrote it when you were really young. It wasn't very good. Rewrote it a few times. But what was kind of the the journey to that point? I mean, you're you're you obviously have you know went to college. It sounds like you were journalism. You've been blogging you've been doing all kinds of different writing but then you thought you know hey let's finish this fiction book what, what kind of drew you to that well it was uh whenever i was around the same time i finished cacophony uh previously i had written a mystery novel and uh and again i was 16 and so the the main characters of this novel they were uh they were young kids it was just kind of like one of those goofy books you'd buy for your nephew somewhere you know at the discount store and uh, I had shopped it around and had actually found a publisher. As a 16-year-old, I was very excited. Uh, I'll not say who my agent was or the publishing house at the time, but I was very excited. And for some reason, my agent just thought, hey, this guy, is he's only 16 years old. I'm going to have to be dealing with his parents, which I don't know why that was a problem. My parents fully supported my writing. But uh, he's like, I have to deal with them and guardianship signings and all this stuff. And he said, so I'm going to drop you as a, as a client. Well, then the publishing house went and talked to me because I didn't have an agent. So uh, that kind of discouraged me. And uh, that's why – and I had just finished Cacophony. I was really excited because he said, oh, there's a potential for a three-book deal. And I thought, oh, that's great. I've got this mystery novel. I've got Cacophony, and then I'll start a third one. And, uh, and so the mystery novel, uh, I actually reread it recently and I'm like, oh man, I, man, I'm so glad I've, I've gone through school and everything. It was, it was pretty bad. It was, I know the editors would have had to do a lot of work with it when they got their hands on it, but, uh, Cacophony was a little bit different. I thought it was better, even though the first draft is awful. Like most writers would say that their first drafts are always terrible because it's kind of bare bones, but, uh, 
So, so I kind of put it on the shelf, and then, like you said, I started. Um, I kind of put uh, 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 that on the fiction writing on the back burner, and I went to. Uh, I graduated high school. I went to college. I went to Lamar, and that's when I started studying journalism and uh, marketing, and that's when I kind of got the itch to blog, and I started my blog. Uh, I want to say my uh, my uh, junior year, and then I went to seminary after that, and I just kept blogging. But it was actually my teacher. I had a, uh, the seminary had a, a great creative arts program led by a, pa- a pastor named Teresa Dedman, and I actually interned for her later. And she was kind of the driving force uh, behind my writing. She's like, I think you're a fiction writer. You do a lot of nonfiction, but I, I think you have kind of that fiction edge inside of you and I was like oh well actually I did I wrote this book and so uh she said why don't you make that your senior project and so that's what I did I it turned I made this novel or novella it's really more of a novella than a novel but I made that my senior project and then as I'm writing it I was like man I actually really love doing this I'm loving uh editing it adding new characters taking out old old ones uh and and it uh, I guess she thought it was good because she gave me an A. She gave me an A on the project. So and uh, and like I said, she was the kind of the driving force. She gave me the idea for the title. Um, there's uh, some Easter eggs in there that I that I put. So that's kind of where I, I went for it. Was just a lot of discouragement from being dropped by you know all I'm like literally the the publishing house is going to send me a contract and then my agent drops me so they drop me. And so that just that discouragement is what took so long. I guess it would have been about uh, five years before I even thought about fiction writing again. Well, yeah, thanks for sharing part of your story because I want to we'll touch on that a little bit um, in, in a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about your nonfiction fiction, you know, writing in different genres and styles and things. But I want to back up just a little bit. Um, you had mentioned uh, just kind of your upbringing and, and, you know, where did the kind of creative part of Jacob emerge? I mean, what, what was, you know, in the home? I mean, were you guys reading books? Was your parents supporting your, your writing or when did you kind of know, like, I really do enjoy writing. This is maybe something I want to do as, as a living. Well, well I've always, always been, been like, like a, a uh, ever, ever since, since I was in kindergarten, kindergarten I was a very avid reader. Um, and my parents were, were really good about encouraging me to read. Um, uh, both my parents are, are, are readers and so they were actually they were excited that I loved to read. So that they they uh, and I remember the the first time I thought about writing was they got me a copy of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's The Hound of the Baskervilles, and it was it was uh, you know because at that point I had mainly been reading like kids books, kind of silly kids novels. I don't know if you're familiar with Wishbone, but they had Wishbone. Uh, editions of books where they, they toned down the violence and the gore and some of the, these old world novels and so but the Hound of the Baskervilles was the first book I read that was actually uncensored and I was like whoa and it just blew me away and that's when I thought oh I really want I really want to start writing and so it kind of started out when I was a teenager I would write fan fiction for some of my favorite uh, some of my favorite TV shows, like I wrote fan fiction for Transformers and Batman, just silly, goofy stories. And from there, I thought, you know, I'd like to write my own stories. And then that's where, uh, from that kind of research and uh, and that side of my imagination. But, you know, my parents were really good about encouraging me to read. They made sure, especially when they saw how much I loved 
Sherlock Holmes. They bought me like a set of all the complete Sherlock Holmes, and that was a lot of fun reading. And so uh, really, I always give credit to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, because uh, after I read Hound of the Bastards, that's when I was like, I want to write. I don't, I don't want to just be a reader. I want to write stories like this, because I was just so blown away with it. And in fact, when I now when I get a little discouraged, I'll open up a Sherlock Holmes story and thumb through it and read it uh, uh, to get a little bit of inspiration. Well, that's great. I mean, I think that's such a, a common thing with writers and authors is, is having that, you know, you always, you always start with reading typically, you know, being exposed to different kinds of books and different genres and saying, you know, I, I really enjoy these kinds of stories. I, I think a lot of especially fiction writers kind of lean into, you know, these are the books I like to read and maybe these are the books I, I would want to write if I'm going to write. Um, and so let, let's talk a little bit just because you are, you know, you're bridging the gap, you're, you know, you're seminary professor sound like she was saying hey you, you you're really good at fiction you should maybe write some more fiction but you write a, a ton of non-fiction you do book reviews you do articles you do you know all kinds of stuff so talk a little bit about that just kind of going through you know even school and uh, learning how to write non-fiction journalism and then fiction is that a different muscle is that a different way of thinking like what's your process when you when you're doing non-fiction versus uh, fiction non-fiction in, in my humble opinion it is a very different animal and uh, and, and and I've been told before that whenever I'm writing fiction, like when I send off a manuscript to a beta reader, they're like, "You're writing this like I'm reading this out of a newspaper." <laughs> so it is kind of a uh, it is kind of a different muscle. But I started nonfiction just uh, I uh, was I'm an avid uh, cinephile. I love going to the movies, and so I started a blog be, uh, at first to do mainly movie reviews because. I got tired of reading newspaper movie reviews because I would go and see a movie uh, and love it, and then the week after the or the or, but the week before or the day before, the, a critic had written a review and just tore it to shreds. And so uh, that's when I kind of started uh, writing nonfiction. Was doing movie reviews, and then that branched off into book reviews and then I would do other things. I'm, I'm a huge nerd. As you, uh, I know you're, if you can see that's my backdrop. I've got all these comic book paraphernalia behind me. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but uh, I started doing comic book reviews on my blog and so that's where that kind of got started, just kept that going. Um, the, the main difference for me is with fiction, you have to do, um, you have you can rely on your own imagination. There's always, especially if you're writing something like cacophony, which takes place in the real world but has a supernatural aspect to it. You still have to do a certain amount of research, but you can always fall back on fiction. When you're writing nonfiction, you have to be clear about what you're what, what you're trying to say. And so um, I found and you and sometimes you have to validate what you're saying. So like if I was to write a movie review, I can't just say, oh, this critic was wrong. You know, I have to say why I thought the critic was wrong and why that's important. When, when it's fiction, you have to rely a lot on, or you don't have to rely so much on facts as so much as you can rely on imagination. You can trust your reader's imagination. But when you're writing nonfiction, like book reviews or movie reviews, you have to uh, you have to state why you feel this way, why this is important. And uh, for the Daily Wire, I actually wrote the movie review for Avengers: Infinity War. And I had read a 
review from another website, which I swear the guy just wrote the review based on the trailer. So he said the movie had left out this, it left out that, it left out this. And I thought, no, it didn't. It had it in this scene, it had it in this time code and all this. So I wrote my own review where I just basically, I didn't call out this, this reviewer. I just wrote my own review and Daily Wire was kind enough to let me publish it. But uh, it was, but that's what you have to, to me, that's the main difference is, with fiction, you can always fall back a little bit more on the imagination, whereas nonfiction writing, like like all the like journalistic articles and whatnot, you have to you do have to make facts your foundation. Even if you're writing an opinion piece, like a movie review, or uh, the reader, it won't connect with the reader. Now, what's your? I, I love asking this question. Like, what's your opinion as far as research with fiction? I, I think sometimes authors get so you know, they love the research, but they spend so much time doing the research, they never actually write the book, or they're so worried about, I got to get, you know, this detail of, on the gun, right, or this, you know, place, right, but, but it is fiction, I mean, you can make up locales, you can make up, you know, how things work, I mean, if it's, if it's fiction, what's your, what's your opinion on that, I don't know, in your cacophony, if there's anything that you had to really get nailed right, or was it uh, just kind of let, let the imagination go, let the reader kind of fill in the blanks? Well, for me, I did, I actually had to do a lot of research on, uh, I, I hate to use this word, but because there's a lot of Christian themes to it, I had to do a lot of research on Christian mythology. Uh, like, like for instance, in the Bible, just uh, the archangels Michael and the angel Gabriel, they're the only two named angels. Well, I didn't just want to happenstancely name the angel characters, and so I actually did research and uh, found uh, some Orthodox Christian writings uh, where they described an angel named Uriel, and then his, uh, his sister quote, quote, character uh, named Ariel, uh, both, and uh, they, they uh, and so, like, whenever I was doing that research, but, so I think it is important, but I also didn't, uh, how, how should I word this, I also, I, I didn't go so far as to describe exactly how Uriel was described in some of these Christian folklore tales. I, I thought, no, I'm going to make Uriel my own character. I'm based on what I'm still going to use it a little bit. I'm going to plant seeds of what I know from the folklore, but I'm going to make him my own. And that's what I did. I, because uh, I agree, I agree a little bit. Like uh, a lot of the plot revolves around a church being a book about angels and demons. And I made up, the hierarchy of the church. My dad is a pastor, but I, uh, to me, uh, at the time, the denomination he was in, their hierarchy didn't make sense to me it, as, as a 16-year-old, and even now as an adult, my, uh, my, my dad's independent now, but I would, uh, so I just made up my own hierarchy, so I was like, you know what, I, it's way too confusing, so I'm going to do my own simplified version of this, and I think that, uh, you have, and I know uh, there's a writer that I enjoy, Randy Singer. He writes a lot of legal novels, and he wrote one based around a gun company. And he just made up the gun company and made up the type of weapons they owned. And that way he didn't have to worry, oh, am I describing this Glock wrong? He just made up the, the weapon itself other than the fact that it was a gun. And so I kind of go with that rule, get the basics down, and then, uh, and then uh, go your own way with it. I think that's good. You know, I, I just, I'm finishing up a, actually a middle grade novel and it's funny. I, <laughs> I, I don't know why I had it in there, but I, I had written this months ago and it actually mentions um, Urban Meyer. I don't know if you've been you know reading up on this Ohio State football coach and uh, just, oh, ironically, right, yeah, yeah, ironically, you know, this guy's going through this scandal and, you know, the sexual scandal about one of his coaches and, and whatnot. 
And the kid in the story is from Ohio and his favorite you know, football team. And his dad actually works at Ohio State. And this was long before all this stuff came out. And so what I decided to do, instead of making that, you know, making this controversial person a real person, I, I just made up a name, you know, and said, you know, some <laughs> funny coach name that, you know, isn't real. But, yeah, he's a coach at Ohio State. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's just I think sometimes it's, you know, when you do the research, you don't want to have. Uh, have it so stuck in time too that it, that you know 10 years 20 years from now it just it, it just doesn't connect you know even sometimes being more generic on places or locales or events can be can be more helpful so no thanks for right. for sharing that um, so I want to talk a little bit about just kind of you know you, you joked about you know book reviews comic book reviews nerd culture um, but you know nerd culture is cool now so um, mm-hmm. so tell us a little bit about your background on that. I mean, I've, I've read some of your book reviews and movie reviews and comic book reviews. Tell us a little bit, kind of where did that begin, you know, reading comic books and, and kind of, you know, want to call it nerd culture. How, how did that start in your life? Well, well it's, it, it started my, uh, my, my dad, dad grew up kind of more of a Star Wars nerd. So he was not as into it as I am now, even, even as a 30 year old man, my, my, <laughs> but my, uh, it started with Saturday morning cartoons. I think that's how a lot of people did. I, uh, morning, I would wake up, I would turn on Fox Kids, and there was Batman the Animated Series, uh, and then Spider-Man the Animated Series. There, I know people think, because uh, people always associate Fox with Marvel, but actually uh, uh, Fox originally had Batman as well. Like, obviously, Gotham is on Fox, and so I would uh, watch Batman the Animated Series. I loved it very much, and uh, my parents uh, were I wasn't quite old enough yet to read Batman comic books. Uh, the 90s is when they kind of started to get away from the kid-friendly comic books. And so my parents bought me Sonic the Hedgehog comics, which was based on the Sega video game. And that was the first comic book I collected. And then when I got older, I started collecting Batman and Spider-Man. And uh, the first comic book I, I got was a present from my dad's older sister, so my aunt. And it's kind of funny, I ran into her uh, a, a year ago, uh, I, w- I went and visited my family in Texas and went to a birthday party and she was there. And I said, oh, hey, uh, and then I kind of said to my wife, oh, this is, the, this is the woman responsible for making me a comic book collector. And my aunt looked at me all serious and goes, you still collect those dang things? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I, I am. Uh, 22 years later. And uh, so that's when, that's how that kind of got started. And uh, when I went into my teenage years, I started collecting the toys. Much uh, I don't I don't collect co- uh, toy collectibles anymore unless they're uh, unless they're more like statuettes. But uh, that's uh, I kept the comic book collecting going. It kind of tapered off when I went to college and seminary. But I always uh, I kept up with the television shows. Uh, in 2003, it's uh, a lot of people are familiar with the the uh, 90s Ninja Turtles show where it was more ser- uh, more silly. I-, I didn't watch that, so I wasn't really a Ninja Turtles fan, but I got into Ninja Turtles with the 2003 cartoon that was on Fox, or at the time it was called Fox Box, another Saturday morning cartoon. Um, and so just, just from there, that's how it got started. And I really started to get more all into it, uh, especially when I discovered anime, which... Uh, that that kind of sealed the deal for me was uh, anime and nerd and American nerd culture have these uh, crossover appeals that a lot of people don't realize and uh, and it just kept going after that it kind of became like an outlet for me I think I told you I wrote Batman and Transformers fan fiction I used to be way more into Transformers than I am now now I'm mainly into uh, uh, Batman and uh, I'm still into Sonic the Hedgehog I collect the IDW comic that just started 
uh, earlier this year, and um, it's just been a really great roller coaster ride. And it's just the community that I found that uh, that um, just appreciates whatever you're into. So we can have our de- we can have our debates on who is better, Batman or Spider Man or whatever, but. It's a lot of fun, and it's uh, it's a really intense hobby, and I look and I enjoy it very much. It's uh, something I do, and it just uh, has been a huge part of my life. And I uh, even as I went into adulthood, I just couldn't see myself separating from that. I was like, you know what? Um, I'm just going to go all in for it, and uh, and I'm really glad that I have. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's funny because it's not you know it's not weird. I mean, it, and it used right. to be you know all the nerds in the basement and you know, talking about their comic books and things but now it's it's kind of become more mainstream i mean you look at you know netflix what's on netflix and you know some of the popular shows are kind of you know 80s going back to 80s pop culture and and uh you know what we were saying about you know communities and people i mean really comic book conventions and you know conferences it, it's really there people are all in i mean it's not this like you know handful of oh you're into comic books oh my you know it's it's very, yeah, exactly. very <laughs> you know you don't have to be ashamed of it um you know what what do you think is the the allure of you know obviously as a as adults i mean i i grew up on the same stuff i'm, I'm probably about 10 years older than you but you know I, I remember the original you know ninja turtles and and, and those things but um, what do you think the allure is even as as an adult especially as you know creatives writers uh you know the biggest movies are still superhero movies. I mean, grown adults, kids, it doesn't matter. I mean, that's what keeps film companies in business these days is these big blockbuster, you know, what do you think is the, the allure of like superheroes and, uh, you know, kind of nerd culture these days? I think it's two things. Uh, one is nostalgia. It's a big, because uh, um, even my, even my nephew who is just about going, going to kindergarten, one of the first things he got at his first birthday was comic book related. I believe it was a Spider-Man like a uh, like little backpack for a baby or something. And so I think I think that there's that nostalgia feel to it, and that has the big appeal to adults. But I also think comic books have a way of crossing over, uh, not just the comic book medium. So you can find like so if you don't like comic books, you can go to, to the bookstore and buy a Batman novel. Uh, you can uh, say Warner Brother Warner Books just released a Batman novel for young adults and a Wonder Woman and I think they have a, uh, a Superman one about to come out. So and also the movies. So there's like so even if um, even if you don't like comic books per se or you don't like reading books, you can have a conversation with your friend about Iron Man or Captain America or Batman. Because uh, you saw it in a movie or read it in a book or in a comic book. And it, I think that's the big appeal to it is uh, with all the different meanings. And even if you're an artist, like I have a friend who – like I'm all about the writing because I'm a writer. Um, so I'll, if the artwork is bad, I'll still read it if the writing is good. But I have a friend who's the opposite. If the artwork is terrible, she won't even give it the time of day. And But it, brings, but it still brings us together because if we find something we both like, we can talk about it. So I think that's – uh, uh, the the big appeal to it is just the the crossover that it has with with everyone whoever the audience is. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. I you know I I've been getting into graphic novels more just even in my later years, <laughs> um, and I've I've loved them. I mean, I had some great recommendations. I, I read this one. I've read it. The um, the Last Man on Earth. Uh, there's a series. Oh, why the Last Man on Earth? Is that what it is? Yeah. That I have it. Where do I have it? Over here somewhere. 
you know, about, yeah, the guy, you know, he, I mean, he's literally the last man. It's, you know, a world of women. And it, it's just a, an interesting, you know, what if, you know, what if that happened? What would the world be like? And, and it's, they're, they're very interesting. You know, it's not comic books like you think about comic books, you know. Um, you know, I grew up on like, you know, Archie and, you know, some of those, you know, silly ones. But, but you know, it's, it, it, it's such a, they're, it's, they're well written and they're engaging. And yeah, it's, it's, it, I love the art. I mean, I'm, a, you know, I love art. I'm not a great artist, you know, drawing wise, but I love, you know, good art and just kind of draws you in. It's such an interesting medium. Like you said, there's so many mediums out there now, you know, movie, film, you know, TV, comic books, full length novels. I mean, you name it. I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, and, and so let's um, just as we, we continue, I want to just dig in a little further on kind of the nonfiction fiction stuff. I always love to talk about process with with writers. And uh, I, I find our community learns a lot and ge- gleans a lot um, from people's process. And it doesn't mean, you know, what you do is what they have to do. But but, you know, we can bring principles out from it and learn from it. So so you write nonfiction and, and fiction. We have both, you know, audiences. Um, you know, talk a little bit about just what, what is your process? We'll just start with, with nonfiction. You, you mentioned it a little bit, you know, obviously we want to talk about, you know, nonfiction facts, getting that, those straight, you know, fiction, you obviously have a little more leeway, but let, let's talk about, you know, what does that look like for you? You're, re, you're writing a nonfiction piece. You know, are you outlining out the story that you're going to write? Are you, you know, what does editing look like? Why, why don't you start there? With nonfiction, um, I don't really outline with nonfiction, but what I do is I look at uh, what I'm writing, whether it be a book review, a movie review, or a journalistic piece, and I say uh, I'm, I, I was kind of trained in the old school way, so I go, I, which is called the pyramid uh, or the upside down pyramid. So you start at the top, what's the most important, and then you go down to the bottom, what is the least important. And so I that's that's what I do. So when I'm writing a movie review, what's the most important thing? Well, obviously the title. You have to write a, a movie review with the title. And uh, what uh, you give kind of uh, the director, you kind of give like a brief little tease and then you describe the plot. That's the, mo- that's the second most thing because they need to know generically what the movie is about without giving away spoilers. And then the next step is uh, I, I give my opinion of, of what I liked about it, why I didn't like this, whose performance was great. And it's the same when I write a book review. Um, uh, and at book review, I'll add in uh, I'll add in the author's expertise. So why was this author who wrote this book? Uh, why is he good at what he said, or why is he or she bad at what he said? And uh, and so that's that's kind of how I approach it. It's uh, they call it the upside down triangle or the upside down pyramid, uh, and that's kind of the process. Uh, I like to listen to uh, whenever I write nonfiction. It's really weird whenever I write nonfiction. I have to have something playing in the background that's talking and uh, like white noise at a coffee shop or I'll put on uh, I'll just put on a YouTube video, something like that. Uh, I don't know why it, it helps me concentrate. I know that sounds funny when you're, you're playing something that's distracting, but then you're writing something. But for some reason, that just helps me concentrate a whole lot. But uh, that's kind of the process that I take. I sit down. What's the story? What's the most important thing? What's what's the next most important thing? And then uh, give a summary at the at the bo- at the bottom. And uh, that's the step. That's the steps I take toward a nonfiction uh, work. So so walk us through a little bit with your fiction. So you know, we, long time ago, you know, sixteen, you start writing this this book. I mean, like, how has your process kind of evolved when you, you first start writing those stories? I mean, are you doing outlines now or are you just kind of going as the muse leads like talk us through a little bit you know how do you decide 
you know, what's next, character, setting, all that. Um, talk us a little bit about through that. When, when I first started, I was character first, plot second. I'm not that way anymore because whenever I did that, it, and I think that was kind of the problem with the first draft of Cacophony, was I, I there's a I, there's an old I, a New York lawyer once said a defense attorney once said I just throw spaghetti at the wall and whatever sticks with the jury that's what I go with and that's how that was my approach to writing I would just throw whatever I could on the paper and then I would just cut out whatever I didn't like but uh, as I got older I realized that that's kind of counterproductive it takes too much time. Um, and, and you might find that your your character didn't change enough or the, he didn't involve with the story or, or the plot or whatever. So now I'm very pro outline. Whenever I wrote the whenever I did the next draft of Cacophony, even though the first draft and second, third, what, I can't remember exactly which draft it was on whenever I rewrote it. But um, I outlined it, even though it had already been written. And I said, OK, I want my characters to get from here to here. And uh then that's kind of how it starts, especially Cacophony, because there's both angel, demons, and human characters. There's a lot of characters. So you have to, I had to be careful not to let them get lost, all of them lost in the mix. You're almost writing an anthology as opposed to a, uh, as opposed to a straight plot. And so I had to be careful not to make it episodic, which that was one of my big concerns when I rewrote it. I don't want this to come off as, oh, okay, so this is just uh, a five- this chapter is just an episode in this plot. It didn't really move the plot forward. And so I'm a big outliner. I still do the character first. I create the main character first, but then instead of just sticking him in the situation, I go, okay, this is the character at the beginning of the outline. This is where I want this character at the end of the outline. And then I go, and then I go from there. A lot of times I'll write, I'll start with the beginning and then do the end. And then I do the middle. This is, this is the problem. This is the solution. Now, how do we get from A to B? Or uh, A to C, whatever. Um, and so I, uh, that's how, uh, that's kind of how my process works. Now with fiction, different. I have to have music on when I write fiction. <laughs> I don't know where, where, where I get these weird, odd, uh, odd behaviors, but for some, whenever I, uh, nonfiction, I have to listen to white noise. Not uh, with fiction, I have to listen to music. So and it's usually rock music. And uh, but I, and that's uh, that's kind of my process of writing. From there, um, right now I'm working on a fantasy novel. I'm in the final stages of that, and that's that's how I started. Was I'm so glad I had an outline. And you know what, the outline changes sometimes, and that's okay. I, I read a book by um, I can't think of his name, but uh, he was describing uh, a plot line for one of Ken Follett's, uh the Pillars of the, the the writer of the Pillars of the Earth, and he described and he had he actually Ken Follett gave him his outline for one of his novels, and so I actually got to see another writer's outline, and that really helped me. That uh, of course Ken Follett is a brilliant writer, uh, and I so that was really cool getting to see that from a writer that I really respected, and that helped mold how I do outlines. Oh, that's great. Yeah, thanks for for sharing that. So, um, so so tell me a little bit. You know, obviously you get paid to do a lot of writing, and so you don't have a choice uh, as far as getting <laughs> getting the words on the page. Uh, but do you have like a daily like word count or, or goals as far as like your fiction stuff goes? I mean, weekly or monthly or yearly? Do you think about those things? Uh, not. Uh, I used to a lot more uh, with with uh, whenever. Um, my goal is usually try to get a thousand words a day, no matter. Even if I have to switch through uh, manuscripts, I just try to write as much as I can. 
but when I get to the final stages of a novel, I try to just focus on that novel, and then it's a then it's an editing game once you finish that. And because uh, I, I once I because uh, I, I at the same time I was writing my fantasy novel, I was writing just a more sci- uh, just a more generic science fiction story. And so and so I was going before I was going back and forth, back and forth between those two. But then whenever I realized, oh wow, this the fantasy one is coming to a close. I need to just focus my attention on that, and that's what I've been doing lately. But as soon as uh, as soon as this one is done and uh, ready to be published, I'm going to uh, I'm going to go right back to where I was. Try to get a thousand word in a day. I was reading uh, Stephen King writes five thousand words a day, and I don't know how he does that. I, I I'm lucky to get I'm lucky making my a thousand word goal. Um, I, uh, I think at first I tried to do half his 2,500, but, uh, he's just, uh, you know, that's how you get, you know, he writes what five novels a year or something like that. That's how he does it. He just sits down and writes 5,000 words a day. And I was like, I can't, I can't even do 2,500. And that's when I lowered it to a thousand. And after that, I started making my goals. So, uh, and my, and so that's, uh, I think, uh, that is important for a writer, even if you don't do my word goal. You need to establish some sort of discipline with your writing. And even, Hey, even if you want to do a time, so I'm going to write two hours a day, an hour a day, whatever it is, make some sort of, and which that's what I'm doing now with the editing phase of my, of my fantasy novel, uh, get it down to, uh, some sort of discipline, even uh, no matter what it is and just stick to that discipline and get an account accountability partner. My, for me, it's my wife. Uh, my wife is very good about telling me, Hey, did you, did you, Right today? Did you get all your words in? Did you accomplish this goal for that you had set? And so, uh, get, if it's another writer or someone you trust, uh, your parent, whatever, whatever, try to get someone who will text you at least to remind you to to get it done. That's good. So while you're still, you just mentioned editing. I wanted to hit that real quick. Uh, so tell us a little about your editing process, because I know for a lot of writers, you know, including myself, when I first started writing some stuff that. My manuscript was such a mess, so when I went back to edit it, it just it kind of took me out of the game, and I didn't want to do it, and I just wanted to quit and, you know, do something else. And uh, so talk a little bit about <laughs> what, is, what does editing look like? I mean, are you, are you writing straight through and then coming back and editing? Are you kind of editing as you go? Um, what are you looking for as you're editing? Uh, talk us through that a little bit. I go straight through and I go back and edit. Um, that's uh, – and I – Every once in a while, I'll go. Oh wait, did I do an inconsistency? And then I might go back, but pretty much I go straight through. Um, my, uh, cacophony. Uh, it was uh, whenever I edited it before I submitted it, but being my own story, some some things fell through the cracks. And the, my publishing company, which I, I don't want to rag on them, they're a fantastic publishing company. Just some of those mistakes. Uh, fell through the cracks a little bit when they published it. And in fact, it's, if you read my Amazon reviews, it's kind of funny because they say, oh, the story is great, but the editing could have used a little work. And I'm like, oh, well, you win some, you it's my first novel, you win some, you lose some. But, uh, but uh, I think it's important though for a writer to self-edit because then you learn from those mistakes. And even if you hire a professional editor um, later on or your publishing company does it, um, uh, you should go go through it at least once, paragraph by paragraph, and just to check for inconsistencies, any sort of grammatical error. Uh, make sure you because make sure you wrote the correct character in a certain scene. Because going back through this fantasy novel, I realized, oh man, I wrote 
this character in, I probably was thinking about that character that day. I wrote this character in, and it was supposed to be this character. I'm glad I went through it and it, and, it, uh, and fixed it. So, uh, but yeah, I just go, that's what I do. I write straight through, occasionally go back to check for inconsistencies, but then I, then I edit straight through and I go paragraph, paragraph. Um, and it's usually in that phase when I write the chapters. I write, my outlines look more like acts, so act one, act two, act three. And then, uh, and then I fill in the chapters after it's completed. So I, I know I, I have one author friend who's the total opposite. She plans out her chapters uh, religiously. This is chapter one. This is chapter two. This is chapter three. I just can't do that for some reason. I, maybe I just don't have that gene. But uh, uh, it's, that the chapters happen in the editing process for me. So Jacob, so you've you've obviously gone through some interesting. I mean, you you write for a living, but you've written fiction. You had a hard you know time with with publishing, going through the hardship of that, finding another another publishing. You know, what were sort of some lessons learned, kind of takeaways, just as you've kind of been inside the the publishing world and uh, you know writing, publishing. What are just some things you'd want to share with with our community that might help them? Uh, don't settle. Um, there's a there's this thing where you where when you're a new author, um, people are pushing you to use uh, like whatever comes your way first. Um, don't do that. That was uh, that was a mistake uh, with this fantasy novel. I had actually uh, made a deal with another publishing company, and then their editor didn't want to edit my book. Uh, now this isn't cacophony. This is a, this is the upcoming novel, and. They literally waited. The they signed a deal that said if they hadn't pu finished publishing by three month period, then the contract was void. And the editor literally waited till the week before the void date to send me a copy. And then I said, "Hey, I didn't. Uh, hey, I didn't like this edit. I'm going to fix this." And then that editor got mad, went to the president of the company. And uh, and I got that, and and we had a real major falling out, and so then I just ended up waiting till it was void, and then said, okay, well the contract's void anyway. I want to I want to I want to be out of this deal, and uh, they they accepted that, um, and uh, so I feel like that was a mistake because I settled, and so I wasted a lot of time uh, with that, and I should have just kept on looking, and I and. If you're not, if you if you can't get the publishing company you you want, because you're not going to be published with Tyndale your first book, right? You're uh, you wish you could or Penguin House or whatever it is. Um, if you can't get the one you want, it's in my humble opinion, it's almost better to self-publish. Uh, that's uh, James James Weir, I believe his name, who wrote The Martian. The Martian was a self-published book. And now, and then it became a best-selling novel, and then it became. Actually, I think he blogged it. It was a fiction blog that he turned into a book. Then it became a best-selling novel, and then it became a movie with Matt Damon. So, uh, so that you know, the, the the short version or the, the short lesson of that is: don't settle. If if you don't, if you can't find someone to do it for you, uh, put on your boots and go with go with the grind yourself. And because uh, I was almost, I don't know. If, People have heard the the thing with Tate Publishing, where there, where in Oklahoma it was a it was a vanity publisher that turned out to be predatory, and they were hiding. Uh, the, uh, the they were, or I should say, they uh, it is alleged that they were hiding uh, 
uh, payouts to authors and all kinds of stuff. And their owners were arrested. And I believe they're, I can't remember if they are still in trial for all these alleged crimes. So, and Tate approached me. They actually found my novel. I had put it on a, what's called a slush website just for uh, publishing companies to find you. And they found me that way. And I almost went with them. And I'm glad I didn't because I wouldn't have wanted to be on and all that controversy with all, with everything. So uh, don't, don't settle, do the hard work. And uh, because the hard work, it, it's tough. Like, like you said earlier, um, you're going to want to quit at some points, but just keep going because it's worth it for you to get the work done. That way you can say, say, well, at the very least I did this. I tried there's uh, and if it fails, let it, let it fail. Then go right on then go right on trying again. Uh, that's all you can do when, when you're a writer. So that's, that's what, that is what I learned. I would say just don't settle for anything, especially when it's, when it's your own, uh, when it's your own writing, uh, and it's your own, because that is your writing is a part of you, whether you write fiction or nonfiction. And so it's not worth it just to, to settle for some, for something that's uh, going to hurt your, uh, your manuscript. Well, thank you for sharing sharing all that because that that's going to help a lot of people. We, you know, there's so many people don't realize. Like, I mean, what's exciting I would say first is, you know, self publishing, indie publishing doesn't have a stigma like it once had, and right. but, you know, there's like you said, you know, Andy Weir, The Martian, you know, Hugh Howie, The Wool. I mean, these guys who indie publish and now they're you know multi you know millionaires with their books. <laughs> and, you know, and, and these days indie indie books are just can be just as good and just as well edited and just as nice looking as any traditional publishing company. And the other thing is that I don't think people realize is that even if you are traditionally published, small press, whatever it is, is that you have to still have to do all the marketing. Uh, and you know, unless right. you're Stephen King who has millions of dollars behind him or James Patterson or whoever um, you know, you're still having to do most of your marketing. And like you said, with editing, sometimes editing is not that great. It used to be a lot better. And uh, mm -hmm. now, you know, they don't have the best editors. They don't have as many as they used to. And so sometimes you're not even getting good editing. So so you do have to do a lot of the work. And uh, I think it's good for people to know that, you know, just be wise, you know, ask around, talk around, like you said, check check companies out. Don't just jump in the first person because we're so excited. Oh, I want to get my book out there. And you know, and, and be a big name author. And then you realize it's not as glamorous as, as you realize. And you still got to put in the hard work and, and, uh, and not get to, you know, it is your, your baby, if you will. <laughs> right. Um, and, and so, so thank you for, for sharing that. So, so Jacob, as we kind of get to the end of the interview, um, tell me a little bit, kind of what, what are your, you know, you talked about a fantasy novel coming out. Uh, what are some of the writing goals kind of in the near future? And then how can people find you and find your work? Well, uh, my fantasy novel, I announced it on my blog. It's called Seven Royals, All Good Things. And I'm taking uh, fairy tale characters because we're, we're, we've been seeing a lot of, uh, of fairy tale fiction, but they're removing them from what they were, which were fantasy characters. And so I, I'm writing this novel that follows these, uh, these seven fairy tale characters. And, they're, and I'm recreating them in a world of, of, of sword and sorcery fantasy. And uh, it's uh, you can find out more information on my blog, which is jacobary.blog. And uh, you can see the book announcement there. And also there's a link to Cacophony if you're interested in it. Um, it's on Barnes & Noble and Amazon. Uh, and I, my goal is uh, 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 the author of uh, Tarzan, um, his name escapes me at the moment, but uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs. Um, he was known not just uh, he's mainly known for Tarzan and John Carter of Mars. Those are his his two big characters. 
But a lot of people don't realize he wrote a lot of other uh, novels. He wrote medieval romance. He wrote uh, other science fiction besides John Carter. And uh, he didn't limit himself to one genre. And so uh, after reading his novels, I want I want to do that. I want to I want to cross pollinate in genres. So uh, one day I may dust off that mystery novel and, re- and rewrite it and uh, and submit that one as a work. Uh, I've got uh, a science fiction superhero story that's gonna uh, that's gonna come out um, hopefully uh, in the near future. I'm still working on that one. I just sent it to a, a beta reader who gave me some some pointers on it that need to be fixed. But I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to try not to limit myself to one genre, and if that doesn't work out, then I'll stick to the ones that the readers like the most. But um, Edgar Rice Burroughs, he's and and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. A lot of people don't realize Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. He crossed genres as well. He wrote science fiction and historical. Because uh, Sherlock Holmes was contemporary, we think of it as historical fiction, but at the time it was contemporary fiction. Um, and uh, but he also wrote uh, Napole- Napoleonic era historical fiction. He wrote science fiction. He actually was uh, people when they hear Lost World, they think Michael Crichton, but actually Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote the uh, wrote a novel called The Lost World uh, that was similar premise. T Rex gets loose in London instead of San Francisco. And uh, I, uh, I want to do that. I want to try to explore other genres, see where they take me. I want to see which genres fit me as a writer best and uh, where to go from there. So um, you can also uh, find me. I talk a lot about uh, Cacophony on my YouTube channel, which is uh, Studio Jake. You can find me there. That's also where I have a lot of my comic book reviews. Um, and also on my blog, you can find my book reviews, uh, movie reviews. Although now I mainly do book reviews on dailywire.com, but occasionally I'll do them on my blog as well. So they're both uh, – Studio Jake is twice, Wednesday and Sunday, and then uh, and then my blog is once a week on Saturday. Well, great. you got a lot, lot going on. <laughs> yeah, no, and I think, you know, what you're saying about cross-genre, I think it's really important, like today, you know, with indie publishing and just social media, and, you know, if you are kind of the brand. I mean, it's Jacob Berry Books, right. right? And so people just know you as that, that you're the guy who writes nonfiction and fiction and writes in all over the place. And, and you know, it used to be a, you know, you couldn't really do that, you know, if you wanted to make a career. But now, you know, every, I mean, even big name authors write all kinds of stuff, and it's just, they like their books, they like their stories, they like the way they write, their voice, their, you know, their perspective, and and that's what sells. So, uh, well, hey, Jacob, thank you so much for coming on The Prolific Writer. It's been such a pleasure. And thank you for helping a lot of writers today with sharing your story and all your tips and tricks. And uh, all the best to you. And uh, we'll make sure we put all this in the show notes so people can go find your work and check out your stuff. Thank you for having me. Well, there you have it, Prolific Writer Nation, Jacob Airy. Thank you so much, Jacob, for coming on the show. Hopefully you gleaned a lot of writer truth and tips and tricks from Jacob. And uh, what a what a great story. I, I just love his perseverance going through a difficult traditional publishing situation and uh, fighting through that and, and finding uh, another opportunity to get his work out in the world. And uh, so I'm so excited for him and uh, Cacophony. So go check that out. Put that in the show notes as well. And go look up Jacob. He's, he's doing a lot of great work. Uh, blogging and writing and, and more more work coming out in the world and and uh, thankful for him just sharing some of his editing and writing tips and hopefully there's some things that you can draw in your own writing toolbox and one of the things I always want to say on the show is you, you, we hear a, a lot of writers and, and a lot of different processes a lot of different ways that they write their stories and and, and really there's not one way to do it and we really want you to find what kind of works for you uh, whether that's actually writing your books, whether that's marketing your books, 
you know, whatever it is, uh, find what works for you and, and do that and try different things. I, I know been writing a long time is that you have to kind of experiment and figure out what, what kind of works for you. Uh, so thank you for listening to the prolific writer podcast. And before you go, just, just two things. One is if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes, that would be so helpful or Stitcher or Google play or Spotify, wherever you listen to the show, it really helps us get the show out into the world. So if you enjoy the show, please leave a, a kind comment or two. And I uh, just want to get more episodes out to the world and help people find the show. And I know reviews do, do help that. And then lastly, as I mentioned earlier in the show, if you would like to support this podcast and the 25 other podcasts on the project entertainment network, go check out patreoncom slash the project project entertainment network. I'll put that in the show notes and, uh, you can support us and get some cool stuff in return as well. And, uh, so thank you for all your support and, uh, just have one more thing to say, go get those words on the page. No, seriously. Why are you still here? Go get the words on the page. Okay. You're still listening to my voice. Okay. It's time to turn this off. Go. Okay. Go work on your, your novel, your short story, your, your, your nonfiction book, whatever it is, just go. It's time. I'll see you real, real soon. Once upon a time, a madman, poet, and thief known as John Urbansick, that's me, challenged himself, myself, to write a story a day, every day, for a year, by hand. Some of them worked. Some of them failed. Some of them were spectacular. Then I did it again. Join me every week for Ink Stains as I do it a third time. And I will read you some of these stories. I'll talk about the process, about creativity in general, writing in specific, and maybe I can help ignite your artistic adventures. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Project Entertainment Network. 